This is the Change Management Podcast by the University of South Wales. My name is Jonathan Deacon, Professor of Marketing in the School of Design, Digital and Marketing, and I'm joined by my colleague Phil Harfield from the Faculty of Creative Industries. Phil is an expert in design thinking. Hello, Phil. Hi, Jonathan. Good to see you. And you. Good to be here. In Season 3, Phil and I will be exploring the concept of design thinking, how it can apply to business and how it works in practice. We discuss how design thinking can help any organisation become an agile one. In this episode, we cover tactics and strategies for creating impact by design inside your organisation, with thoughts on measuring its value and aligning design to business outcomes. To do that, we'd like to welcome our guest, Simon Hall, who's Director and Design Engineer from Airway Medical. Hello, Simon. Hi, Jonathan. Hello. Hi, Phil. So, Phil, what is impact-driven design? Well, it's a big question. I think the main problem we're trying to think about is what design is doing. Are we designing the right thing? In looking at the impact, we're really trying to say, what is the effect of design having on the real world? What's it trying to do? What's the intention of this? I suppose from a business perspective, it's what is your criteria for success? Um, What do you intend by design? Obviously, it can have unintended consequences or unforeseen consequences as well. But mainly we're talking about what might be the positives in terms of, I guess, a commercial outcome or an outcome that's beneficial to a user. Obviously, trying to diminish perhaps the negative impacts of perhaps environmental or social impacts that it might have. So really, it's about doing it by by design and by thinking about perhaps the longer term impacts on things, we're trying to understand the implications for users and society, really the benefits. Okay, so we're looking at design in this case then as being the design of our business model moving forward. Businesses are based on this, are we going to design a product? Are we going to design a service? Are we going to design a business model that's translating those products and services into something that's valuable for our, for our users, our end users, our customers, our consumers? You know, it could be, for example, I know Simons are from a medical company, so the idea of solving problems for the medical context, you know, for consumers are patients, consumers are doctors, consumers are healthcare clinicians. So a medical device has to function across all these user groups and add, add value to each of those. Otherwise, it's not going to get uh, traction within the marketplace. Okay, so Simon, does that ring true to to how you're looking at impact-driven design in airway medical? Um, it, it does, really. I mean, the, one of the first considerations um, when, when I started the company was, was really to produce something that, that was fit for purpose. Uh, and for me, that, that really means talking to the people that are, are actually going to use it. So I, I think, um, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with everything that's been said so far. And, and, it, and it's fundamental to how we, we go about our design process is, is really thinking about the why, why we want to do it, and then considering the how. And, 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 and really to get to the how, we, we need to speak to people that are actually going to use it and engage them in the process of design. How do you do that then? What, what What's your process of engagement? With my experience, I've got about 35 years experience in the medical device field with various different hats on. Uh, and certainly uh, engaging with people during that time um, taught me an awful lot uh, about where we wanted to, to be as an organisation. So it's so learning about, not necessarily mistakes, but, but the way things have perhaps been presented to users to clinicians and patients previously in terms of a product that had been designed that wasn't necessarily fit for purpose and and, and considering that and and how that would make me feel. 
And so when we started out, one of the primary focuses really was, was to speak to people directly and engage through what we call user groups. So we've got clinical advisory groups and patient advisory groups. We have sort of anecdotal qualitative feedback, but also quantitative feedback as well. So things like questionnaires with marks out of 10, say, for, for various elements of design processing. But fundamentally, that, that, that process of actually sitting down with an end user and discussing the potential product or the, the prototype, you know, that, 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 that then is an important aspect to being able to, to have a start point for this design process within the organisation? Certainly, yeah. I mean, we deal with, with company with airway suction at the moment. So, so this is clearing people's airways of blockages, either in emergency use or, or for people with, with chronic respiratory conditions. We've come up with the initial design, if you like, and then we present that to people that would actually use that design. And it's very much a work in progress at that stage. We, we don't take anything for granted. And a lot of the energy that, that's then generated is generated by, like I say, talking to people that will actually fundamentally use it once we've got something that is fit for purpose. Uh, and we won't put it out into the market until it's reached that stage. Want to empower your teams to think differently and solve complex problems? Start your design thinking journey today. Search USW Design Thinking. Phil, how, how important is it then to, I don't know, take the temperature of the water, I guess, of the end user in developing this approach to business development? It's very important. I think I'm very interested in, I guess, the idea of a process. And you mentioned, Simon mentioned that as a, you know, the, the users as the, the gatekeepers of the outcome or the success, you know, the idea of success being driven by the answering the needs of those end, end users. And I think the concept of a of a design or a process that's driven by design is 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 quite questionable within i guess the value from a business perspective you know so you might have you know almost a checklist of things to be done to to sign off a project to sign off its value to sign off a way of thinking of it of estimating its value so the idea of getting user perspectives those people at the center who are they have we understood the problem from their perspectives is a single perspective going to define the problem well enough? So if I'm just going to talk to the doctors or the clinical clinical providers, does their perhaps need, perhaps they need a device that's based on user-friendliness or functionality, does that align with perhaps the needs of the patient or perhaps the needs of the context? So a device that might be maybe used in a third-world context compared to a hospital in Cardiff where we are, you know, might be completely different. The requirements may be completely different. So one may need, you know, a, a power supply, one might not. So I think this kind of holistic thinking, this thinking not just being restricted by one user group or one perspective is really important. To understand, you know, are we are we answering the problem? <laughs> are, are, are we answering the right problem? You know, so I think that's the big thing with design thinking is not to jump to a conclusion, not to jump to a solution without really exploring the problem fully. Because Simon, Airway Medical, the device that we're kind of talking about really here, and I, and I think it would be valuable just to, to give you a, a couple of sentences to explain what it is, but it, it's a very smart innovation in the very tight field of suction gizmos, isn't it? Tell us about it. 
Yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you for that. That's very kind of you. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, but basically, the, um, <laughs> the, the whole concept came through. I spent a long time working for a company that dealt with suction and oxygen therapy. Uh, oxygen therapy would be flow meters in hospitals providing oxygen to patients that, that we've become familiar with over the last year or so, I guess. And, and suction kind of goes hand in hand with that. And, and there's a thing called an electric battery suction unit. And it does what it says on the tin. It's driven by electric. The battery stores energy and it then provides suction. But this is a very Western-centric device. It, it's designed for use in hospitals, say the Heath in Cardiff, for example. It's not really designed for, for poorer healthcare infrastructures where they don't have access to reliable electricity, they don't have access to maintenance engineers, all, all these sorts of things. Or I guess people people using this piece of equipment in, in the field, you know, emergency medics on the side of the road at a, at a car accident or something. Yeah, at the moment, they don't really have much choice. They, they've got to use this electric battery suction unit. They're, they're quite heavy. So if you imagine three or four laptops all strapped together, that's about the weight. They're quite complex as well. They, they contain a lot of componentry and, and they're relatively expensive. You know, you're talking up to £1,000 a unit. They're not waterproof or particularly robust, extremely difficult to actually decontaminate. Uh, and so there's, although they're effective, there's actually an awful lot of problems. Uh, and uh, as an engineer, I, I like to solve problems. Uh, and that's where the idea for what we've called the AMSU, the Airway Medical Suction Unit, that, that's where this idea all started from, was looking at that problem and thinking, well, how, how can I solve that problem? How can I come up with a a better solution than, than, than something that's existed for 30, 40 years now. So how then did you, when you when you started the process of thinking that you could innovate a solution to this particular problem, when you began to engage then with with the potential end users, how did you kind of prioritise that? Did you, did you prioritise clinicians perhaps working in the the hospital setting first or or maybe those that that would use this in the field or third world type of application did you prioritize anything in that or did you just kind of go with the flow um a, a little bit go with the flow i mean my my background is in in nhs hospitals so that's that was a natural breeding ground if you like for, for the idea uh, and fundamentally, what I've come up with is is an amalgamation of things that already exist, so proven technologies, but, but just bring them all together in, into one unit. It looks a little bit like a sports bottle, I suppose, is the nearest analogy. So, so if you imagine a sports bottle versus four laptops, you, you get an idea of of how we've managed to create something that's just as effective, but is infinitely smaller and lighter and portable as well. And it all kind of came about really with a view to replacing the electric battery suction units. But subsequent to that, we, we found an awful lot more use cases by talking to people. Just as an example, really, I, I was just, just chatting to uh, somebody that, that turned out to be a speech therapist, and I didn't know that's what they did for a living. We were just sat in a pub, I think, watching a gig or something. They were asking me what I do for a living, so I told them. And they said, oh, that would be really useful for, for what I do. And I said, well, what do you do? She said, speech therapist. And I said, well... How on earth could that be useful for a speech therapist? And she explained she teaches people that have had strokes that find it very difficult to speak because of the left side issues, but also the fact they can't control the saliva glands. And they use suction to clear the saliva glands before they're able to then converse with people. And the idea of having something that, that's light and portable 
as opposed to an electric battery suction unit, all of a sudden little light bulbs start to appear and you think, well, that's a group I've never engaged with. And, and, and so off you go and you start speaking to them. And then you mentioned third world countries. Well, that, that, that was kind of a, another progression that came about through, through conversations with people. So I think it's really important to not just engage with clinicians, but, but to put the word out generally. And, and it's really surprising a lot of the feedback that I've had and the use cases, if you like, uh, have come through just, just, just having conversations with people. So this, this really is a, that almost that entrepreneurial approach of serendipitous um, yes. discovery <laughs> and and markets just kind of appearing. But I suppose, Phil, the the secret to this is having an organisational structure that can maximise those opportunities when they appear to the you know to the organisation. I think the idea of getting insights is, <laughs> is one thing. You know, so. Having these conversations down the down the pub, how how do you, I guess, formalise some of this? How do you make that perhaps strategic? How do you make that designed? So I think insight gathering, conversations with people, diverse people outside your realm, outside your discipline, is is a big part of that. So making perhaps making observations outside your discipline, and obviously immersing yourself in other people's worlds is a big part of, I guess, the, the mantra for design thinking. And what, I guess, goes with that is the idea of empathy or seeing things through their eyes, feeling things through their fingers. So I think being immersed in someone else's world is a big part of that. So I think having, from a governance or an organisational perspective, having something that does that systematically or, or by design is, is really the challenge, you know. So obviously it takes resources, obviously it takes, you know, without putting people in every pub in every <laughs> in every part of your domain to try and find how, waiting for these good conversations to happen how do you do this strategically so there's there's sort of, kind of methods and strategies that design thinkers put into place you know about principally it's got ethnographic research and processes that uh, have design led research methods in my work you know we talk about the idea of of having an explorative mindset in that that you you don't close your mind to to any of those incoming stimulants be they you know down the pub talking to somebody in Simon's case here a you know a clinician or, or you might see something on the TV or listen to something on the radio and all all of that you know you got you have to keep an open mind to to enable opportunities to 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 flourish that you can then prioritize within the organization perhaps I think with all, you know, with all good ideas or innovations, such as the one that Simon was just described, you go, why didn't someone think of this sooner? Why hasn't someone done that before? You know, and that's, that's, the, and they go, so when, when I watch Simon talking about uh, waxing lyrical about his product, you go, wow, you know, the obvious benefits of what, what it does and how it does it, how it simplifies all this, I guess, energy sapping technology that's required from the other products, you know, so it's like busting our assumptions about this thing. That's what we're trying to do all the time as innovators, trying to check our thinking, check our biases and question ourselves. So in that product case, you might say, right, it needs suction. Uh, what does that mean? Uh, suction, oh, perhaps that equals a pump. Perhaps a pump equals a motor. You know, it's so that kind of linear thinking of the kind of assumption and thinking processes we might have. It could take someone to come in and say, actually, no. <laughs> what about a mechanical version of that? Why do you need a motor to drive that? Why can it, can it be a mechanical? So I guess for the idea generation and I guess solution finding part of innovation, that's where 
I think checking your assumptions is a big part. Isn't that part of the the problem that we see frequently in organisations where where we get trapped into this this kind of accepted pattern of of thinking and that overused term of thinking outside the box really does mean kind of thinking beyond what we currently have. You know, looking at that problem in a slightly different perspective. Absolutely, I think. Yeah, there's lots of, I guess, cliches and thinking outside the box is a good one because it does <laughs> it does say what it says on the tin, you know, it's <laughs> for want of another, I would say it's about making sure you're, you're not just living within your own bubble and living in the known. So a problematic way of trying to find solutions is because you, as I say, you jump to jump to your known environment. Okay, Simon, you described your process of coming up with the solution to this particular problem using a new way of looking at how you clear the airway in a person. That's great. You know, you're coming up with that, you're leading that. But how then do you get people within the organization to think along the same lines? You know, how do you in, how do you embed that approach across the organization? <laughs> I don't need to encourage it really, to be honest. I, I, I'm really lucky. All the people that work for Airway Medical and I, and I work for Airway Medical, we genuinely all, all believe in what we're trying to do. The aim is is to save lives. It's to, it's to promote well mobility and well being in, in people that that don't currently enjoy that. Uh, to give them a sense of normality. It's genuinely not about the profit. We understand we've got to make profit, but but the main focus really is is in improving people's outcomes and whether that's saving lives or improving the the well being of, of of people that uh, with chronic conditions, but also improving the lot of people in countries with poorer healthcare infrastructures. Uh, and we all fundamentally believe that. And so I think that makes it very, very easy then to employ this process of engaging with people and coming up with designs that, that are fit for purpose. Those folks within your organisation are already coming with that kind of moral, ethical, cultural approach to, to this. Yeah, definitely. I'm very fortunate. So for example, one of the people that, that to works with me, not for me, with me, is, is my sister. And that, that was a serendipitous thing that, that just happened to work, particularly in these virtual times. She lives in Fleetwood in Lancashire. I'm, I'm in Bristol. But also, we're looking very much at, at, at trying to do this re- in a responsible way. So, so we're very much focused on the social and environmental impacts of what we're doing as well. And that's very fundamental part of, of Sarah's thought processes uh, and so, for example, we're, we're trying to make the AMZU, the device, out of biopolymers, extremely unusual in the medical device field. As far as we know, for our particular class of medical device, it's completely unique, for example. So, so we're doing it the hard way, but we're doing it the right way. This, this, this is what we all fundamentally believe. You also include some graphene in your product. Yes. Yeah, so uh, for, for anyone that doesn't know, graphene is this sort of new wonder material. It's a, it's a single atom layer material. It's got all sorts of novel properties. It's the strongest substance known to man. It's the most conductive substance. But also out of interest for us is the antiviral properties it has. So if we coat our device with, with graphene, it, it, it makes it intrinsically antiviral. One of the, uh, the unusual outcomes or, or things we didn't realize when we went down this route is, is for, for Muslims, for example, now, for, for a Muslim to decontaminate a medical device, they can't use alcohol wipes. But, but if something's intrinsically antiviral, then, then they're able to use that straight away. Again, it's cutting edge. It's never been done before. And so we're, we're going off in yet another 
innovative <laughs> direction. <laughs> we're, not doing, we're, not, we're not trying to do it the easy way, that's for sure. <laughs> so, Phil, when, when we're talking about, you know, in, embedding a, a people-centric approach into an organisation, what, what advice would you give to, uh, to our listeners? The big advice is obviously kind of how Simon said his approach, you know, in a way you may think you're creating more problems for yourself, and, and to some extent you are, by asking the difficult questions, by being perhaps critical of what you're doing, but not being confronted by that, embracing this complexity, embracing this self-challenging mindset you're trying to do. So it, that will lead you to a more enriching solution to the problem. So really, the I guess the purpose of of design thinking or any process around design is to grow your confidence in in how you might bring about some of this change. So as Simon demonstrates, having sort of a value-led business, we're trying to say it's all about the impact in terms of benefits for society, benefits for the users. You know, what does that really mean? Asking yourself that difficult question, well, it's not just the function of the product, it's the material qualities, it's how it has an impact longer term, perhaps on the environment, not just the social benefit of of a medical device. I think those are really quite challenging questions for any organisation. So I think it's to be applauded that, that you can actually engage with that and go down that route. Mm. So Simon, how, how do you balance both the, the concept of environmental issues and socially responsible issues you know, within your company? How do you balance that across? Some organisations may say that's quite a tricky thing to pull off. Yeah, no, I, and I'd probably agree with them, to be honest. It's like I said, we're, we're not trying to do it the easy way, but we're trying to do it the right way. I guess I'm a closet hippie at heart, and and the environment is really important to me. I've got mental health issues. I suffer from bipolar, uh, and so the, the, the social impact of, of what we're trying to do is really important. At, at the end of the day, it doesn't feel like it, it would be worth doing this unless we did it the right way. That, that's how I personally feel, and I know that everybody that works within Airway Medical feels the same way. It's difficult and easy at the same time. It makes it actually easier to, to turn up for work every morning if you feel motivated by doing things for the right reasons. And I, I think I think that comes across. If you spoke to anybody, including people that work with us collaboratively, so uh, we, we collaborate with universities and, and with private uh, corporate companies, in fact, but all of those can, can see the benefit of, of what we're trying to achieve by being socially and environmentally responsible. That concept of collaboration then, is that part of, of the impact you know, that, that you can weave into this design process for the end user? Can you leverage that in some way? Is, is that a very positive thing? This, this is collaborations with with other organisations, is that? Yeah, yeah, or, or, or indeed collaborating with the end user, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, so definitely collaborating with end users floats our boat to a certain extent. Everybody we spoke to has, has come back with, with positive and, and some negative feedback, which, which we've taken on board. Like you said uh, previously, um, you can't please everyone all the time. Uh, but, but what you can do is take those comments and, and use them in, in a positive way. Um, certainly collaborating with other organisations as well. We've, we've, we've gained a huge amount. I, I'm not a businessman at heart. Uh, that, that, that's not my speciality. I think creatively, but but there's the certainly things I don't know about, like material science, um, fluid dynamics, all these sorts of things. We've worked collaboratively with, with other organisations. And we've also taken on various interns over time as well from 
from universities, mostly local universities. Uh, and some of those have come with incredible skill sets. I mean, really impressive uh, individuals that, that have, have, have helped us enormously with what we're trying to achieve. Okay. Um, a very suitable sound that you have in the uh, in the background talking about medical... Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the joys of, of recording uh, programmes uh, in busy environments. But briefly, let's start with Phil from the, you know, from the specialist uh, point of view, the academic, you know, kind of theoretical point of view. What, what advice would we give to anyone listening today who is planning on integrating the design thinking approach into their organisation? What would be that golden nugget, Phil? What, um, what would you say? I think the, 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 the big challenge is finding this purpose if you don't have it already or if you hadn't written it down or verbalised it to your stakeholders. So finding the challenge that your business is responding to, obviously within a medical context, it's pretty obvious what the challenge is. But for, I guess, more commercially biased companies and organisations, finding that balance of the, you know, the needs of your customers and having a customer-centric approach is also a human-centred thing. So, so the, the problems, the issues, the needs people have, you know, whether that's social or environmental or equality of pay or wherever the, wherever the innovation needs, I think finding that purpose is the real challenge for organisations and actually acting on that, putting it into some kind of strategic envelope for you to act out as an organisation. So I guess with that comes conflict, with that comes people that may be com competitors to you, but having that in an open forum as much as possible, in a collaborative way as much as possible, as Simon's demonstrating, can mean you don't have to spend all your time trying to convince people to buy your product or <laughs> convince them that it's, convince them that it's what they need because they've co-designed it with you, essentially. They have been partakers of that process of innovating it themselves. So your marketing budget <laughs> will be reduced as a result. <laughs> and, and, and Simon, in a sentence, what would you say to to anyone thinking of integrating this kind of approach into their organisation? I, I mean, it depends organisation to organisation, but but for us, it's it's been a relatively easy process to undergo. And I think it's it's important to emphasise why are you doing something, you know? And you can apply this to your life, but also to to, to business and design. Why do you want to design it? What's the purpose? Uh, and if you think about that first, rather than the, the what is it going to be, if you think about the why, first of all, then think about how you, how you can do it. And then, then you'll come up with the what at the end of it. You, you'll come up with, with the answer at the end. But without considering the why first, to me, that, that seems fundamentally wrong. There must be a purpose to the design. I truly believe that the way we're trying to do things is the right way to do it. Purpose and passion. Yes. <laughs> if you want to hear more of the Change Management podcast and the things that we have discussed in today's episode, please don't forget to follow us in the normal way. Thank you for listening and thank you to our special guest, Simon Hall. To find out more about this podcast and our business services at USW, please visit southwales.ac.uk forward slash business.